You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight I have a programme with wine, thanks to Ron Forrestal. I will be talking to Sage Restaurant's Kevin Ahern about sourcing ingredients within a 12-mile radius. Rachel Shanahan reviews the novel Apple Tart of Hope. Jennifer Dorn explains how to book a local. There will be news from County Kerry with Kenmare foodie Karen Coakley and I'll be flagging up a few events taking place this weekend just before the end of the show. As always, at the start of the show, I like to tell you how to get in touch with me. Please send your emails to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, which is short for the Queen of Organisation. It's always great to hear from you, the listener, about what you like about the show and I'm equally happy, well, Okay, I'm not equally happy, but I like constructive criticism, so please let me know when you don't like something. One slot I know you like very much is the one with our resident wine expert, Mr. Ron Forrestal of Forrestal Wines. And Ron is here tonight with a red and a white wine for us to try out this month as we head into the autumn. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, we were just saying there before we started to record that the Vino Verde season is well and truly over. Yes, now it was a great summer for us because the weather was absolutely fantastic. So the sales of uh, of Vino Verde, Pinot Grigio, Sauvignon Blancs were, were amazingly good because when the hot weather comes, people like to drink things really cold and those wines suit that very well. So they do, but it's definitely over now as the kids go back to school and people wind down, it's... Uh, they're into more, um, you know, relaxing kind of comfortable wines, and they're more uh, reds make a comeback again. People are sitting down in like a nice glass of something in front of the fire in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, because there is a nip in the air it now. Changed so, a bit, yeah. As you say about the fire, and I know a lot of people then they put the fire on, they open the bottle of red wine, and they put it up in the mantelpiece. Yeah, there's nothing worse than drinking uh, over like tepid red wine. It's just it's just horrific. Um, like it's, now it's nice to have it at, at room temperature, and we've talked about this before. But um, like 18, 19 degrees is perfect. Anything above that, uh, and you start to lose flavour in the wine. So definitely keep it away from the fire, um, and um, definitely from any direct heat, because uh, if you feel the bottle warm then the wine is, is, is deteriorating as, you, as we speak. But equally, if it's too cold, that's not good either. It's not. It's very easy heated up. It's very easy, like, it really, if it gets two hours in a normal room temperature room, it'll be perfect. So just matter preparing the bottle is the key. Will you have a nice red wine for us this month? Tell us what you're recommending. Yes. Um, well, with, with that in mind, as you get back more to probably uh, more heavier red wines, because during the summer people tend to drink lighter reds like Pinot Noir, um, easier to drink reds like Primitivo Italians. But now when it gets towards the, the longer nights again, you're talking about more foody wines. Uh, the one we have tonight is a Cotomer Crianza from Rioja in Spain the biggest wine producing area in Spain famous for its reds uh, Crianzas Reservas Gran Reservas 100% Tempranillo grape which is a very traditional Spanish grape and this is from uh, Coto Mayor uh, El Coto is the name of the, the winemakers uh, they are the top selling um, they have another uh, label called El Coto and that's the top selling Rioja in Spain which is a fairly good um, um, accolade for any wine to get that they can get in their home country. Geographically, 
in the country, where is that? You're hitting just south of, of the middle, uh, southwest of the middle of Spain, if you take Spain as a square. So the weather is good there? Perfect. So, yeah, and rolling hills, everything that's needed for uh, sunlight. Uh, grapes like changes in, 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 in weather forms. So when you have, you'll see grape vineyards very seldom run directly along the ground. They tend to run up sides of hills where you have direct sunlight hitting the vines. Um, whereas when you're on the ground, when the sun is going down, it only hits the top of them as it runs along. Whereas if you have a hill, they get much more exposure to the sun. Whenever you talk about grapes, is it correct that white wine is made from white grapes and red wine is made from red grapes or black grapes? That's that's generally true, except for a couple of exceptions. Now, the grape juice, the actual juice that's in a grape, whether it's a whether it's a white or, or red grape, um, is is clear. It has no colour at all. It's the skins that give the colour. So, effectively, you can make white wine from a red grape. That if you if you uh, if you squeeze the grape immediately when it arrives and take it, the skins directly out of the the mash that's left when that when that happens, um, it will be a clear color. Uh, like they use Pinot Noir for champagne, as a, as a blend with Chardonnay for champagne. Um, now the, the skins have been taken out immediately, so red wine develops its color from the skins being left in and they're left in for three, four, five days, depending on how much colour they want to achieve. Well, tell us a bit more then about this nice red wine that you have. Now, uh, Rioja wines, there's, there's a few famous ones out there that you recognise here, Marca de Riscal, Marca de Caceres. Uh, there's several of them that are very popular in Ireland. Ireland has been a very good market for, for Spanish wines for a long time. They've been imported for years and years. If you look back at a wine list from the 70s, you would have had two or three Spanish products on it. Um, now, this is a relatively winery, only, only um, established in 1970 as an amalgamation of three or four small wineries at the time. But they've come to a real powerhouse of, of quality product. They don't make anything below this. This is the entry level that they have, this Crianza, which means that it gets a, a, a minimum of nine months in an oak barrel. Um, and that means actually in a barrel now, in opposed to any other... Um, uh, additive that they may put to it. It's actually in an oak barrel. Now, and, and it's, it's not the cheapest in the world. You'll find Spanish products that will come in much cheaper, but I think you have to look at the process that it goes through, uh, the attention to detail they have, and uh, it's costing around 13 euros a bottle, which isn't over the top at all. You know, that's, that's a reasonable price to pay. Now, they have a reserve level of this as well, which creeps much more towards the 20 euro direction. And is this a wine to be enjoyed on its own or with a few nibbles? It, a it's, steak, what do you recommend? It's probably a little bit uh, on the pricey side for drinking it, you know, sitting down watching a movie. It's probably more of a, when you have somebody over for dinner, you'd like to get a nice bottle of red and have a nice, or a nice couple of bottles of red with dinner. It'll stand up very well to red meats, to steak, to lamb, anything like that that has very strong flavours. It'll work very well, it'll be fine. And then you have a white as well. Yeah, I, picked, I, I went for a slightly unusual white from Côte de Gascoigne in the south of France, uh, just north of Languedoc, which is, if you look at, at France again as a square, uh, the, you have a wine regions running along the bottom of France. Uh, the Languedoc, which is the biggest producing wine region in the world, uh, produces more wine than Australia does with a huge amount of small wineries. And then above that you have Cote de Gascoigne where they make Armagnac, the, the famous um, brandy, uh, is made there in Cote de Gascoigne. This is a, an Ubi, Colombard Ugni Blanc is the blend. Ubi is the name of the wine. Um, 
and it's very different. Uh, it's a Columbard Ogni Blanc. It's a kind of a food wine. It's not really a, it's not like a Sauvignon Blanc where you sit down and drink a glass with fairly, fairly easily um, with your nibbles or whatever it is. This is much more of a full-bodied white drink. Um, but uh, saying that, it's, it's very fresh. Uh, it's not like a Chardonnay. It's not that buttery kind of feel to it. It has a fresher, sharper feel to it than that. But a super wine. I mean, a super product now. This is one of the best producers in the south of France. It's there. And very modern as well, in opposed to the old labelling. Very modern labelling. They're both corks, are they? Uh, they know the um, Ubi is a skukap. And the uh, the Spanish, you'll find very few Spanish products in skukaps. Uh, they'll have their house wines or their, their entry-level wines, but they will not put anything of any quality into skukap. Tell me all the pronunciations of these different words in the different languages and everything. You're very au fait and you're very comfortable with it. Do you find it easy to remember the names and pronounce them? No, it gets more, um, you know, as, as you go along. Well, it's fairly easy for me because I'm familiar with them on a kind of daily basis, so it works, it works very well. I'm always very clear at the start to get the correct pronunciation so that I don't get it wrong and, and, and use it for two or three years and then realise that I'm completely off the mark. But I'm going to a wine fair now, in, a Chilean wine fair in September in, in Dublin. They come every year. It's a huge wine fair. It's moving to the old Burlington this year, whatever they call that hotel now. Um, and and uh, it's it's a huge day out, and uh, that's the day where I, I I don't say a great deal really. I, I listen to other people <laughs> pronounce the where they come from. Well, I'm sure too. Whenever people phone you up to place an order between Rioja, 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 there's lots of different pronunciations there. I'd imagine there is there is. That's why I I um that's why people put numbers on wine lists. Um, it, it solves a lot of that problems. It takes away. We find that, and I've always said this to people that are, I, I write a lot of line, wine lists for people in restaurants, always use a number because if if you have a difficult pronunciation product like like that Ubi, Colombard, Ugni Blanc, uh, first of all, if the, the person serving the, the table can't pronounce it, they won't sell it. And if the people the person who wants to order can't pronounce it they won't buy it so it's very important that at least if the number 18 is written beside it you can point and say that that's uh, that's that one without anyone feeling uncomfortable so that's always good that's a very good tip so just recap there on the two of them I won't attempt to pronounce them I'll let you do that Uh, well it's the Ubi is the white Uh, it's a blend of Columbard and Ogni Blanc which are two um, generic um, south of France grapes started there they are grown other places in the world but they're very uh, particular to the south of France and it's from Cote de Gascoigne, costing 11 euros a bottle. And then you have the Cotonbeer Crianza from Rioja um, at 13 euros a bottle. And if people want to order off you, you do deliver? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, we're based out in out in Arda, uh, outside Newcastle West. And people want to mix up a case of wine with seven or eight different wines, and we have no issue with that. Uh, our number is 0692300. Just give me a call. I'll drop them a wine list with everything on it. We have 170 products. And they can have that to have a look through whatever they like. And you have a website address as well. www.forestal.ie And, of course, if, if somebody is having a, a, pl- a plan on a dinner party and they want to match wines to the courses, you're more than happy to help them and advise oh, yeah, them I'll even that. go if they want, uh, Charlotte. <laughs> Absolutely, I'd be delighted to you. Absolutely. <laughs> Ron, thanks so much for coming in to share your tips for the month of September whenever it comes to buying wine, and we look forward to having you back in October. Super. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers. Chin-chin. Salut. Schleiter.
Ron really knows his stuff there and I look forward to having him back next month with his next round of recommendations. If you have any questions you'd like me to put to him on his next visit, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie. Still to come tonight, I'll be talking to Rachel Shanahan about what she thought about Sarah Murr Fitzgerald's latest novel, The Apple Tart of Hope. Jennifer Doran explains how to book a local and there will be news from County Kerry with Kenmare footy Karen Coakley. Next, though, we're turning our attention to another movie. Last week, Tom Flavin, who is the executive chef at the Limerick Strand Hotel, was here talking about the hotel's movie, Our Food Story, which highlights how many of the wonderful ingredients that form the centrepiece of key dishes are sourced within a short distance of the Limerick Strand Hotel. Well, my next guest, Kevin Ahern of the Sage Restaurant in Middleton, County Cork, has been involved in a similar initiative. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Kevin, tell me, what was the catalyst behind producing 12 Mile? Um, well, I suppose 12 Mile started a few years ago when we were asked to do a local menu for actual for an actual festival. We were asked to do a local menu. and um, So I basically picked up the phone and rang all my producers around the area and um, we decided that our local menu was going to be just 100% from from the, the farmers and producers of the area and when we had the menu written it just seemed to be that 12 miles was the line of where the last producer was so we ended up calling it the 12 mile menu um, I suppose from there it stemmed into a lot of different things because at the time when the restaurant was open we were we were very much a, a local restaurant using a lot of local produce but um, unfortunately these days I don't think anybody well, not anybody, but lots of people don't realise what local actually is. You know, we have local cooking, we have regional cooking, and we have national cooking. And for me, for local cooking, I just happened to have a line of 12 miles. So for me, it was kind of determining, defining what the term local is. And for me, it, it just meant it was within 12 miles. No, I'm not saying it has to be within 12 miles, but just for me personally, it was. Now, some people might say it's totally impractical to be able to source all your ingredients to produce uh, a dish within 12, mi- 12 miles of where you're located. What would you say to that? Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with them, 100%. You know, I'm, we're, we're not saying that, you know, for me it's different because obviously I have a restaurant and for me I'm very, it's important for me that I try and be as honest with my customers as possible and try and get to 100% of each dish within being within 12 miles. But the whole the whole thing about it is it's just it's kind of like the window box effect to the to greenhouse to the glasshouse to the large field you know you just kind of have to when you're doing your shop you you think within the twelve miles you know I'm not saying if you're if you're making a dish with twelve ingredients that twelve ingredients have to be within from within twelve miles but it would just be encouraged to think along the lines of right what can I actually use in this dish that is actually local 12 mile local why is it important to you personally to use local ingredients um there's a couple of reasons i'm very very much into my food community you know i um i like having that interaction every day with directly with the producer you know a lot of it's down to education as well if you have direct if you meet the producer directly you know you can get a lot of information about your product you know how it was grown or what it was fed or how to cook it or what cuts to use, what not to use. So that direct contact is very important for me. Um, obviously as well, you know, it does, money is one of the things as well, which is very important. 
if money is being spent within my area, if, our, if I'm spending money within my area, then it's it's putting more money into the, the area. So it, it's um, it's promoting people to spend more as well, you know. And let's talk then about the producers that actually feature in the film. Yeah. There's a number of them there. Um, I think the first one is the Free Range Pig Farmers. Yeah, uh, Woodside Farm, yeah. So Woodside Farm, yeah, they're from Ballancurric. They're, um, they do free-range pigs. They do two types of pigs. They do Old Gloucester Spot and they do Saddleback Pigs. And they come from a very good bloodline. Uh, we have a very good relationship with them here in the restaurant that we have the arrangement that we will only use their pork products and nobody else's pork products. So basically that you're guaranteed that you're only going to have their pork when you come to Sage. Um, reason being a lot of it is because of food fraud on menus um, they'll say that it's from Woodside Farm, but it might not be. And unfortunately, that seems to have happened to a few producers down the lines. So we give them 100% that uh, we'll use their pork and nobody else's pork. But um, yeah, they're a family-run business um, from Ballincurrig, yeah, and they, they do farmers markets. I think they do two or three farmers markets, and they supply the restaurant as well. But um, they have a great product. We support them, and they support us. And we work well together. And then there's the beekeepers, Charlie and Bridie. Charlie and Bridie, yeah. Um, both, I think, were old school teachers. But um, I think if you watch the video, they go on about it being a love triangle, you know, Bridie, Bridie Charlie and the bees, which is, which is quite sweet. But, uh, yeah, lovely people, very passionate about their product, and um, they're right to be as well. It is a great product. You know, the honey is very good. We use a lot of honey in the restaurant. We try and, we try and cut out as much sugar as we can and use honey a bit more. Now, it does, obviously, it is a bit more expensive to use honey than sugar. So we don't use as much of it, so we don't have as much sugar in our ingredients. And then there's lovely Ardzala cheese. <clears throat> yeah, Jane from Carrie Tool. She's, she's been around now for quite a while. She's, um, she's, uh, she's a very passionate lady about her cheese. She does a couple of different products. We use a lot of her smoked cheese at the moment, which is very, very good. Um, she's living in Carrie Tool. So, um, no, once again, another family business, which um, she uses the farmer's markets as well as her outlet. Um, she really has a good product. Yeah. And then in terms of beef, you you source your beef from three different places. Yeah, well, we source our, all our beef comes from comes from one one um, one butcher, which is Frank Murphy here in here in Middleton. Um, luckily for us, Frank has his own abattoir, which is less than a stone throw from the restaurant. So all our beef is um, is slaughtered in Middleton, and it's from within twelve miles. We do have there is a honest it probably could go up to maybe five different farmers um they're usually aberdeen angus or aberdeen angus cross we do have another farmer from roaches point james stafford um which is the scottish highland for those people who are unfamiliar what a scottish highland beef animal is it's the one with the big horns and he's a big furry animal quite unusual to look at james lives on roaches point and he tells me often you'd see people driving along the road and They'd be pulled in on the side of the road looking at the animal now because they're, they're so amazed of what they look like. It's unusual. And then the the vegetables come from an organic farmer called Derek. Um, yeah, or it's actually our lettuce leaves come from Derek. Like we do get some supply of organic vegetables from him, but not a whole amount, to be very honest. Um, it's more leaves we get from Derek. Oriental leaves, mustard leaves, chard, lot of grass. So, um, <clears throat> Need surprise as well with some some nice flowers throughout the years, some barge flowers and 
uh, nasturtiums and different types of flowers that we use as well in the restaurant. And you have a great slogan there, keep your friends close but your farmers closer. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's the more, the, as I said earlier, the more direct contact you have with these people that are producing their own food, it, you know, the more education that you're getting as well. So I think it's, you know, it's important to have that direct line of contact with them. And it's very different when you're walking into a supermarket and you're picking up something off the shelf. It may be that little bit cheaper, but if you walk into the farmer's market and you have that direct contact, you know, you're getting a little bit more education on your product. Now, you said earlier about there was a food festival, so you were creating a menu that was featuring ingredients within the 12-mile radius, and that has obviously developed into this movie then. It's produced by Tall Story Media, and the filmmaker is Sean Monaghan. So did Sean Monaghan come along and say, let's make a movie about this, or did you go to him and say, I th- you thought that this was something worth doing? Um, we have a long-running relationship, myself and Sean. We started, we started writing a book in 2011, I think it was, and for, for different reasons, we decided not to bring the book out. So the book itself was going to be called 12 Mile. Um, so I think it kind of it stemmed from there, really. But Sean himself, is, is, um, he also is very passionate about the, the 12 Mile ethos. Um, it's something that he practices himself. It's something that he has a great interest in. And to be fair, he was very much involved in the the choreographing of the movie itself he was very much involved in but see the restaurant now uh, in Sage we closed the restaurant in 2013 and we closed it for two weeks and then when we reopened it the whole restaurant itself now is based on a 12 mile ethos so this this little menu that started three years ago from just doing a 12 mile menu now is kind of has grown into the restaurant just being of a 12 mile ethos has grown into a filmmaker wanting to make movie about 12 mile um, you know it really has grown as a an ethos in the last couple of years which is great so whenever I was reading about it there there was a great description of it it said two mile is a heartwarming inspirational documentary film based around the ethos of sourcing your food from within a 12 mile radius of where you are it's a short film engaging or sorry encouraging the viewer to learn about food as the basis of community and local economy and I feel that does sum it up very well yes you know that's exactly what it is you know it's not a philosophy it's not something that we think we're after coming up with or something that we're trying to push on people or thinking we have an idea you know it's quite it's it's the way things used to be i just think you know sometimes we're kind of getting we're getting a little bit lost in our ways and we're maybe we're we're trying to get a bit of too far ahead of ourselves so you know we're just trying to take it back a notch and be honest um say what it is you know and that's basically it really you know what has the response been to it so far how many people have viewed it um i think the last time i looked i think it's up about three thousand now um and that's 3,000 people that have watched it from start to finish. So I'm sure there was another couple of thousand on top of that because it is quite long. It is 30 minutes long, and I think it only logs in if you watch the whole film. But it's, we've got a great response to it. We've had, we've had lots of... Um, we've done lots on social media with Twitter and asking people to view it and retweet it, and it's, you know, it seems to work very well for social media. It's great. Well, it is definitely well worth a watch. It's on Vimeo, that's V-I-M-E-O, and it's called 12 Mile. So I'd, I'd encourage all listeners to tune in and have a look. Kevin, thanks so much for talking to me about it this evening, and we wish you all the best with it. Thanks a lot. 
You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, we have heard earlier from Ron Forrestal, who recommended a red and white wine for September. And Kevin O'Hearn from the Sage Restaurant in Middleton, County Cork, was talking about 12 Mile, which is a video on Vimeo that promotes the concept of sourcing food within a 12 mile radius. The show will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week, along with all the previous 2014 shows. You'll find the podcast there on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. Still to come tonight, Jennifer Dorn explains how to book a local and Karen Coakley of Kenmare Foodies is here with news from County Kerry. Next, though, you might remember that author Sarah Moore Fitzgerald visited the Best Possible Taste Studio a month or so back to talk about her latest novel, The Apple Tart of Hope. Well, 12-year-old Rachel Shanahan very kindly agreed to read and review it for us. Let's hear what she thought about it. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Rachel, they say you never judge a book by its cover. Whenever you saw The Apple Tart of Hope, what did you first think? I didn't really know what to guess by it because the name only has a bit to do with the story itself. And just give us a bit of a gist. What was the story about? So Meg Meg and Oscar were best friends and, na- and neighbours for years and Meg has to move to um, New Zealand so um, a new girl called Paloma moves into Oscar's uh, to Meg's house and um, Oscar at first thinks that she's really nice but she turns Oscar into wanting to commit suicide and um, he a man came and rescued him and told him that he could live with him for a while. So um, Meg came home from New Zealand for the funeral, uh, even though they never found Oscar's body. And um, Meg and Oscar's little brother Stevie are determined that he's not dead, so they try to prove that he isn't. So it sounds a bit sad. Is it sad? At some parts it is, but it has a better ending. And is there a message in it? Is there a moral to the story? It's like never give up hope, like always keep trying. That's a good message, isn't it? Yeah. So at the end of it, you're not going to spoil the end of it for anybody that's listening, but were you happy that you'd read it at the end of it? Did you enjoy the book? I did. It was. It took a while to get where you expected it to get, but it was good in the end. So did it take you a long time to read it then? Not really. It took me like a bit, but not much. So would you recommend it to your friends? I would because it's an unusual book, but it's interesting. Who was your favourite character in it? Probably Stevie because he never gave up hope even when Meg was considering it. The title then we were talking about just there at the start, you were saying that it didn't give you any insight into what the book was about? Not really, like until you got about a quarter of the way there, you didn't really understand. Okay. What was the best part of the book for you? Um, I think the end, because 
it's had more of a happy ending so that's good then you would recommend it to a friend because you think that there is a good message in it and if you were to give it marks out of 10 what would you give it seven or eight i'd say that's quite a good score (laughs) rachel thanks so much for coming in and talking to me about it thank you bon appetit yummy grubs up delicious Mm. Thanks to Rachel for her review. And if you'd like to appear on the show to review a food-themed book or a cookery book, please get in touch by dropping me an email to s.noonan at live.ie. Still to come tonight, Karen Coakley of Kenmare Foodies is here with the news from County Kerry. Next, though, my next guest joins me on the phone from Dublin. Her name is Jennifer Dorn and she is an ambassador for Book a Local, an online marketplace for local food experiences where you can meet new people and eat great food at unique gourmet events hosted by locals. Let's find out some more. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunter. Jennifer, you're an ambassador in Dublin for Book a Local. What exactly is Book a Local? Book a Local is a network of people who offer food experiences in their own home. And um, anyone, whether a tourist or a local, can come sign up and come to a food experience in a Book a Local member's house. So it's essentially like a network of people offering supper clubs, but it's even more than that because people are offering things like wine tastings or foraging trips where you learn to cook what you find or um, kind of all kinds of cooking experiences. So it's basically people connecting around food. Where did you first hear about it? Well, I used to live in Brussels and I heard about it there where it's very well developed. It's been going there for a couple of years now. And um, I was uh, I was interested in food and I like meeting new people. So I signed up to go to one of the events. I was a little bit apprehensive going and knowing nobody, but I had an absolutely fantastic time. And I met a lot of people that I'm still in touch with. Um, and it went from there, really. After that, I, I went to some more of the of the events, and then I decided to become a host myself in Brussels. So I had I served, um, actually at the time I was cooking Irish food because Brussels is full of expatriates, so I was kind of showcasing Irish food there. And um, I also became friendly with um, another host who was from Portugal, so we did some Dublin meets Lisbon meals together. And, Strangers who then became friends would come to your house. They would pay for the experience. It's not really about making a profit. It's more about having an experience, but it doesn't cost you anything. And then when I came back to Dublin, I decided to bring the idea here. So I became a book local ambassador here. And as an ambassador, then your job is to try and recruit people as well. Yeah, to recruit and promote. So there's also a book local ambassador in Cork who's doing um beer pairing so using local beers and pairing it with food um, and I'm I'm just doing supper clubs so d- depending on what's in season I'll cook and I will put the meal up on the website the book a local website bookalocal.com and then people who are interested in coming will um, book in and then they pay in advance via PayPal so really I charge 30 euro for a, sometimes four, sometimes up to seven course meal and people bring their own wine and they come to my home and generally, um, you know, you you have a drink together, you chat and then you serve the meal and I know quite a few people have met up afterwards either just themselves or have gotten involved with um, book a local, you know, future events. So 
it's been really great. Whenever you're recruiting people, how do you ascertain whether or not their cooking skills are good enough for something like this? Because presumably yeah. whenever I go to somebody's house, I want a good meal. Yeah, well, um, you basically anyone can sign up to be a host, but we recommend that you get verified first. And if you've been verified, then that's shown on your profile online so people who are booking for a meal in your home know that you're a good cook and by verified what i mean is when somebody in signs up then um the first thing that they'll do is cook a meal for me or for one of the other book local ambassadors in other cities for example and they then you will go i will go along to their house i will have a meal with them chat to them explain the concept and after that, once I've seen that they have a nice and you know hygienic, clean home, and they're good, they're good cooks, and that they're nice people, then I verify them online, and then they they're free to advertise their meals through the through the network. Now, whenever you say they're checking that they have a nice hygienic home, that nice clean kitchen, are there any issues there with red tape in terms of the HSE, for example? No, because ultimately we're you're still just inviting no more than Airbnb. It's a it's private between two people, and technically it's a donation as opposed to a contractual exchange. So um, it's a private. I'm inviting people into my home, so it's the HSE isn't really involved on it on that level. And we have we have over four three hundred and fifty hosts in over forty countries, and it's been going for several years. There's never been an issue because people are verified. And what has the response been in Ireland in terms of both people coming to events and then actually hosting events? So far, well, I was the first one that started it, and now, as I say, we're two. Um, I have no problem people coming to events, but so far we we still are trying to recruit people to cook in their homes. I think people like to come, but so far I haven't managed to reach out to, you know, amateur, um, it's not even that you have to be an amateur chef, it's just people that enjoy cooking for other people. So um, I have quite a few people that are interested in doing it, but nobody else other than the the ambassador in Cork has started doing it in their own home, which is a pity because it's a massive opportunity and it's very enjoyable. Um, So I'm hoping that this year I'm going to put more... um, effort into getting the word out and I and we're hopeful that there'll be quite a few people signing up to do it. In your experience, the, the people that come, the guests that come, are they Irish people or are they people that are maybe in Ireland travelling, for example? Because I'd imagine it is a great way for people travelling around the world exactly. or visiting it's a country wonderful. to yeah. actually engage with local people and experience local food. It, exactly, and, and not just that, but to get recommendations about other aspects of their travel as well, um, and you know, ask questions about you know the people that live in whatever city they're they're visiting and the the native perspective. Um, so the first one that I that I hosted was all Irish people, um, and after that, I've had a, a, quite a few requests for meals. So I have some of the meals that I've cooked are up online, and people can actually you know contact me like in Airbnb and say that they're visiting Dublin and. Would would I be available to do a meal for them on a particular weekend? And if I'm free, I'll say yes, and then I will advertise it to, you know, I will put the days up and the meal and other people can book in. So um, it's been quite a mix, actually. There's been quite a few requests from people visiting, and then once I establish them doing a meal, there's a lot of locals, both return customers and new people that come along. And there's also quite a few um, 
non-Irish people that are living in, in Dublin as opposed to visiting it that, are in, that want to meet new people. So it's been great from that perspective. And are there any concerns that some of these people coming to your home could be a bit dodgy? Well, I don't know. I mean, so far I've never had that experience and I've been a host uh, quite a few times and I've been a guest even more times. And there will, there might be people there that you wouldn't, that you don't hit it off with, but I've never met anybody that hasn't been very pleasant and very polite. And most of the time, as I say, I've actually met people that I've stayed in contact with. So it, like in any new experience, like there, there, you don't know who's going to come, but that's part of the fun of it as well. And in my experience, the kind of people that are interested in going to these things that put themselves out there tend to be very, you know, outgoing, interesting and interested people. So it's uh, thus far, no. Now you yourself, what is your background? Do you have a food background? I don't have a food background. I'm actually, I'm a lawyer and now a medical student. So um, cooking is my passion and my hobby. But there's, there's everything from kind of novice cooks to amateurs like chefs and people that actually work in the food business that are involved in Boca Loco. So. And a typical evening, you said there could be six or seven courses for how many? For, mm-hmm. for how many guests would you entertain? My biggest has been 13 people, seven courses for 13 people. That's a lot of people, Jennifer. (laughs) Yes, it is. But that's the biggest I've done. And I've often done, you know, three courses for six people. And those nights have been just as enjoyable. So it just depends. That was my most ambitious. And I had... Um, a co-chef that helped me out so or you know it, it's sometimes fun to do it with a friend so one of you will be serving and chatting while the other one is preparing um, and as I say I, I met a very good friend from Portugal through the network and we've done quite a few Irish meats Portuguese food uh, together so so just before you go tell, talk me through a menu um, from start to finish of what you would serve up Okay, well, I'll talk you through the Irish-Portuguese one. So I made uh, soda bread, and um, we served a very stinky, like, native Portuguese cheese with that as a kind of appetizer, and um, green wine, which is like vino verde, it's a Portuguese wine. Um, Then I served, as a starter, a salad with clanacilty black pudding and some caramelized pears and walnuts. Um, and then as a main, there was a Portuguese main, um, so that was a kind of a, a fish stew um, with rice and shrimp and um, well, a number of different types of fish. And then for dessert, I made um, bread and butter pudding, and then we finished off with some Irish coffees. So um, you can include alcohol or you don't have to include drinks. You can get people to bring their own. But we, because both Ireland and Portugal have their own produce, we decided to showcase some of that as well. Excellent. It sounds like a lovely meal now. It so was wonderful, yeah. Fair play to you. It's um, the, the website is bookalocal.com and local yeah. is spelt with a K as opposed to a C. So yeah. any listeners out there that are interested in becoming ambassadors or hosts should log on there and have a look and there's contact information there. If somebody listening would like to become an ambassador, you recommend that first of all they become a host and do a few yeah. dinner parties and exactly. or supper clubs as is probably a better way to describe them. And then once they're comfortable, they can approach you and discuss the discuss with you about becoming an ambassador and you limit that to three per city. Yeah. Exactly, but we definitely still have some openings and, and if you're interested either in coming to eat or 
hosting your own, we'd love you to get in touch. Great. Jennifer, continued success with it and thanks so much for talking to me this evening. Thanks, Sharon. Bye. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Jennifer Doran of Book a Local. A very interesting concept and one that I'm sure our resident Kerry correspondent would find very interesting. But unfortunately we have no time to talk to Karen about it tonight as she's lots of regional news to report on. So without further ado, let's hear from Ken Mayor Foodie, Karen Coakley. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen, we're going to start off with the lovely subject of chocolate tonight. We are, Sharon. We've got chocolate and salt tonight. Quite a combination. So tell us then about Benoit. Benoit is from Lorraine in France and he qualified as a pastry chef and he's worked in places like Corsica, the south of France and Scotland before settling in Canmary. Now Benoit would say himself he just fell in love with Ireland and the countryside and everything and he knew that this is where he wanted to be. He worked as a pastry chef in the five-star hotel Sheen Falls Lodge in Canmary. And then what he started to do was he started to make chocolates to help with local fundraising and things like that and then became inundated and snowed under with requests for his chocolate. And the demand grew so much that what he did was there is an old post office in Benon. Benon is about seven miles outside Khmer on the road to Bantry and there was an old post office there. Post office closed. Everybody was devastated because obviously it was very much a community thing. So within, I'd say, six months of the post office closing, the word was, you know, that Benoit was opening a chocolate factory. So you have opposite the church, you've got the old post office and you've got this amazing French man making his chocolates there and he's doing workshops. And um, I went in one recently with a friend of mine and um, it's just really, it's taken off for him. He says that the inspiration for his chocolates comes from the countryside around him. And if you know Benoit, you know, you would actually believe that. He's just, he's a good guy. And as he said, he's a true artisan. Everything is made by hand on site, packaged by hand, and it's very low-key operation. So um, about back in the spring, I went on a, a workshop with him for a full day, and it was great. We arrived in the morning at half nine, and we got like an introduction to chocolate from Benoit, and he goes into, you know, everything about the cocoa and, you know, the difference in the cocoa beans and, you know, the, the chocolates, the difference in chocolates. He teaches you about the, the areas around the world that grow cocoa beans you know it's within a certain distance north and south of the equator um, and that was very interesting I learned a lot of things that I didn't actually know about chocolate so what we did then afterwards was we started by making the fillings we made a creme brulee filling there was a filling with rum there was another one with um, he puts rosemary and orange so loads and loads of orange zest and rosemary that worked really well that was just a fantastic taste sensation in that one for me the thing was tempering I absolutely loved tempering the chocolate it was something I wanted to learn about and something I had never done and would have been absolutely terrified of and I had done oil paintings years ago and I loved that whole kind of sloshy fluid feeling and that's what you get when you're working the chocolate on the the, let's say the piece of marble and then I guess what he what I found what Benoit explained about the tempering is that tempering chocolate chocolate is that you bring chocolate up to a certain heat because that breaks down the crystals in the chocolate then you have to cool it to a certain temperature again and then you bring it back up to and the crystals come back together and then you bring it back up to another temperature again and um 
that then is tempering the chocolate and how you will know your chocolate is perfectly tempered is when you crack it it will snap you won't you'll hear like a very crisp sharp snap and you'll get a lovely glassy sheen Benoit does um loads of like different workshops he caters for kids um, he does corporate classes hen parties adult workshops and he does a two day pastry course so he's on Facebook he's Lord Chocolates he's on Twitter at Lord Chocolates um, and then you can email him info at lord.ie and his website is www.lord.ie and that's L-O-R-G-E L-O-R-G-E or Lorch Lorch <laughs> It's a fantastic experience. Well worth checking out or attending. Okay, and you mentioned salt then as well. Salt, a new favourite product of mine. Well, it has been for about maybe two years that way, so it's not that new, but it's Irish Atlantic sea salt. They're the new um, sensation. We're all familiar with Malden and as well, we're familiar with, let's say, the Fleur de Sales from France, the really, really good sea salts. So it's fantastic for us to have a salt that's being, you know, made um, in Ireland and not only that it's made in the Barra Peninsula which I think is fantastic and it started um, by the O'Neill family um, Michael fished locally for 15 years and it was his father Bernie who originally had the idea of making sea salt because he could see you know that the clear crystal waters of the Atlantic could be cut to, put to good use and I had my first experience of Irish Atlantic sea salt when I was organising Khmer Food Carnival they were one of the, the people who were at our market and instantly just blown away by the product um, it's just it's a lovely it's a big grain there's a good crunch off of it and if you hold it up you can almost see through it whereas a lot of them you can't there so it is it's really it's crystal clear um, it's a natural product and they're making it using traditional salt making methods as they say blended with modern technology and it was officially launched in 2010 and has grown steadily since now they've a great range of products and flavours lemon and pepper and that's fabulous with roast chicken they have garlic chilli and smoked paprika and I actually have a recipe on Khmer Foodies blog um, it's prawn and spinach pastries and I like to kind of you know because to keep that all fishy and local I like to use it Irish Atlantic sea salt with that so um, that recipe is on your blog it's on prawn our blog and spinach pastries. the prawn and spinach pastries are on the blog yeah that's that's a great story. It's, I think it's a great, you know, a success story. And it is some it's good to see somebody with passion, you know, and something local do well because they're winning awards all around them. They're being um, endorsed by like so many celebrity chefs like Donald Skehan. Um, they're in Tesco's. They're in, you, you can find it everywhere now. It's very widely available. So. And then finally, Petit Delice in Killarney. Petit Delice. I heard about Petit Delice. I think it's open about a year. It's in high. It's on High Street in Killarney, up at the top left-hand side. If anybody knows Feet First or O'Sullivan Cycles, um, it's just beyond that. My husband did the Ring of Kerry Cycle this year, and he bought a new bike, and we were in and out and in and out of the bike shop. So whenever I, I was bored, I used to hop into Petit Delice. It's um, they're French people. They're based in Carre Savine, and they opened the shop in Killarney about a year, maybe a year and a half ago. But the most amazing French pastries. I mean, we were in France in July or in June for two weeks, and I had the pastries and Petit at least in the back of my head and what I had in France was as the same as what I was getting in Killarney they do beautiful a lemon meringue tart now my little seven year old Connor he loves it and he said oh mummy it like explodes in my mouth he just absolutely loves it they do beautiful homemade brioche so I buy that take it home and do French toast with that with cinnamon um, divine so that's one that I think is well worth checking out you know for something sweet sweet treats producing really good products and talking about really good products the elderflowers what's happening there or the elderberries okay so it's 
I, this is my favorite time of year. It's it's that's for a forager or for like people who are into let's say picking their own stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. There are so many berries out there now, and at the moment they're elderberries. Now I was driving around the other day looking for them, couldn't find them, but I will within the next two weeks have elderberries. And my plan is to make elderberry cordial and have that on the blog within the next two weeks, because for me I have twins and it's back to school and. Last year, they were taking water to school because, you know, I tried to keep everything that they eat and drink as good as I can. But then, you know, they do deserve a treat. So this year, the angle that I'm going to take with them, because I make my own homemade lemonade, which they love, that's on the blog as well, on Khmer Foodies um, blog. I have a recipe up there for a homemade lemon and lime cordial. So I want to do elderflower cordial because elderflower has huge amounts of vitamin C. It lowers cholesterol. It's said to improve vision, boost your immune system. It improves heart health, fights colds and coughs and tonsillitis and viral infections. And it's an ancient medicinal remedy. So I reckon there has to be something good. You know, what's better than making, picking something, making it and giving it to your kids going to school. So that's our plan for this year. And they're gung-ho for that. And then you all also have rose hips they're full of vitamin c blueberries we're lucky that we have a spot near us where wild blueberries grow so we go myself and the twins we go and we pick those and the boys just stand there like gorging with like blue dripping down their chin and they love that so they're fabulous for pancakes and waffles and then there's blackberries for tarts jams and cordials and then mushrooms I'm big into my mushrooms. So that's a family favorite for us to head out picking mushrooms. And there's so many different types there. You know, there's chanterelles and there's seps and there's hedgehog mushrooms. And But you do need to know, you need to, if you aren't, sh- well, you won't be sure until you actually find somebody who can identify the mushroom for you properly. And last year I was lucky enough to go on a foraging day with Bill O'Dee. He's on Twitter. He's at Mushroom Stuff. And he came to the Park Hotel in Khmer and did a one day foraging. And I had a bit of knowledge. And then, you know, he went went with us and he showed us so I picked up I've about seven different varieties of mushrooms now that I can say that I can forage take home and cook and it's brilliant so all the recipes and the details about what we've talked about are up on the blog just remind listeners what the blog They're address all on is the blog the blog address is www.kinwarefoodies.com and then finally on the blog I have a recipe for southern fried chicken it's a new family favourite of ours it's just it's amazing it's um, you literally you get buttermilk you soak your chicken in your buttermilk like the longer you leave it there the better I'll try to do it for 24 hours so you marinate it and then you take it out shake it off dip it in seasoned flour and deep fry it and for us like Friday nights or Saturday nights when you don't feel like going to the trouble of cooking you know a really big dinner southern fried chicken is perfect so for this you will need for the marinade you need a teaspoon of salt a teaspoon of black pepper a teaspoon of paprika a half a teaspoon of cayenne a half a teaspoon of white pepper and one teaspoon of ground dried herbs and two cups of buttermilk so you put all those into your buttermilk and you whisk them up I would use however many you need maybe six chicken portions would do this and um, so cut those maybe into thirds and marinate the chicken in the fridge overnight now I have been stuck for time and I have done it for an hour or half an hour and it is good but if you can give it overnight it's better and then for your seasoned flour you'll need two cups of flour one teaspoon of salt a teaspoon of paprika a quarter teaspoon of cayenne pepper a half a teaspoon of white pepper a half a teaspoon of garlic powder and a half a teaspoon of onion powder now these are like two little secret ingredients that I put into burgers and everything they're amazing they're probably best got in like a health food shop and if you can get them they're worth they're worth getting so you just dip your chicken into your seasoned flour into your oil at about 180 until it's cooked through 
and it'll be like crispy on the outside and just so juicy and moist on the inside and you'll have all the flavour from the paprika and the cayenne pepper and the onion powder and the garlic and everything coming through. It's amazing. There is no breadcrumbs. To make it healthy, what I have done once or twice is I have rolled it in breadcrumbs and done it in the oven. Now, once you've marinated it and dipped it in the flour, it's good. So that is a healthy option. But if we're going all out on a Friday evening and having like a treat and do homemade chips and homemade coleslaw with that. And then I did Brendan O'Connor's um, homemade barbecue sauce recently. And that's just fantastic with it. That's Brendan from Barbecue Joe's. From Barbecue Joe's. Yes. Great, Karen. So it's kenmarefoodies.com and you will be back next month with more info I for will us. be back with next month with more. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Karen will be back in four weeks' time, so be sure to contact her if you have any news or events that you would like her to share with the best possible taste listeners. And speaking of events, I have a few that I want to let you know about this week. This Thursday, the 18th of September, Fiona Uema returns to the Mila Gallery in City West with her easy Japanese meals demo. Check out fionauema.com for info, and Uema is spelled U-Y-E-M-A. Visit justcooking.ie for details of their five-week introduction to cooking. This covers the basics of cooking, baking, knife handling and lots more every Wednesday for five weeks, starting tomorrow, Wednesday the 18th of September, and the total cost is €200. The last afternoon tea demo is on this Thursday, so if you want to avail of Mark's years at the world-famous Ritz Hotel, he'll show you how to create bite-sized sandwiches, sweet treats and the perfect scone. And that is 7 o'clock until half past nine and costs €35. Again, the website there is justcooking.ie. If foraging is your thing, Longville House Hotel in Mallow is running a mushroom hunt this Sunday the 22nd. Check out longvillehouse.ie for details. And uh, for all the other details that Helen McDade from Fulcher Ireland was talking about at the start of the month, visit discoverireland.ie forward slash food. Please keep sending me details of your cookery demos, food courses, product launches and fundraisers to s.noonan at live.ie and I'll only be too delighted to give them a shout out here on the diary on the best possible taste. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. That's all we have time for tonight on The Best Possible Taste. Thanks very much for tuning in. If it's by traditional wireless or if you're farther afield through tunein.com or the TuneIn app. Remember the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show if you missed any of the show tonight or perhaps an older one from earlier on in the year. Thanks to tonight's guests, Ron Forrestal, Kevin O'Hearn, Rachel Shanahan, Jennifer Doran and Karen Coakley. Until next week, have a good one and as always, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.